If you're listening to this podcast on an Android, you should check out the Podcast Republic app. It's available on the Google Play Store and has thousands of great reviews. So it's not just me telling you it's good. It's many people out there. You favorite your favorite shows. They download when they post new episodes and you get to listen to your shows like Dissecting the 80s that simply. So check out the Podcast Republic app on the Google Play Store. Hey, folks, just bringing you a little introduction for what you're about to hear. We got the chance to interview Ed Solomon, the co-writer of Bill and Ted Face the Music, as well as the whole Bill and Ted trilogy. Uh, he, he and Chris Matheson created these characters and, and wrote all the movies. Uh, we got an opportunity to interview him ahead of the release of Bill and Ted Face the Music. Uh, we didn't talk to him too much about Bill and Ted Face the Music because he had had a really cool career and we wanted to ask him about a lot of different stuff. So we kind of hopped all over the place. He wrote also Men in Black. He also uh, wrote Super Mario Brothers, which uh, I know Andrew is very fond of. And I, you know, I am very curious about it. So we got a chance to ask him about a whole bunch of cool different stuff. Unfortunately, it being a press junket, we had a little bit limited time. Um, so we just tried to cram it as much as we could. So if there's stuff we didn't get to with Bill and Ted, blame that and not the fact that we're still learning how to be podcast interviewers. But uh, this is a little bonus episode, so I uh, hope you enjoy it. And we also will give you a brief review of Bill and Ted Face the Music after the interview's over. Hope you enjoy. When the mega powers explode. I'm talking about the 8880s. Welcome to Dissecting the 80s. I am Trip Leno, one half of the Mega Podcasting Powers. And with me, as always, is my tag team partner, the Bill to my Ted, the Macho Mandrew. Andrew Leno. Joining us this this for this episode is Ed Solomon, the writer of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you. Co-writer with Chris Matheson, but, but yes. Chris is not here. I've had him. I've had him killed, but he's frozen. And <laughs> I intend to bring him back at some point. Well, that's good. That's good. You'll, people right. need, people mm-hmm. might need a part four, so you never know. You might need him there. And by the way, I'm glad we got to make this work. Yeah, me too. I'm so thrilled that we're getting to do this finally. Uh, really, really exciting. We've been wanting to do it for so long. So glad we Thank could make you. it happen and help promote the movie with you. Yeah, and until then, and if we don't, then I'll just let him freeze. But if we do need it, I'll, I'll be proud. <laughs> uh, we can bring him back. So I'm going to start with a, a little bit of a tough question. I, I hope that this is this is not to get our interview off on the wrong foot. But uh, you know, we got a chance to watch the movie, and I I had to. It's impossible not to notice that Bongo Player Extraordinaire Station wasn't there. And I just was this a contract demand situation? Is he just not able to return to the planet? Is there is there any way you can illuminate a little bit of the of the fate of our of our Bongo playing friend? Uh, you know, Station was such a megalomaniac and impossible <laughs> to work with. And there were a few, let's call them Me Too violations. Oh, boy. Wow. Yeah, where he would kind of come together sometimes uh, with a, you know, a, a sad, like a PA, let's say, male or female. It was really tragic. Between wow. them, they felt really violated. I don't blame them. And, yeah. Um, yeah, no, we were threatened with so many lawsuits that we, we couldn't we couldn't use them. Well, well, you know, uh, in that light, I'm glad that we didn't uh, have the opportunity to see him. Yeah, um, yeah, it, w- it would have been tragic. Plus, he looked bad. He gained about twenty five thousand pounds. Wow. And, yeah, he, you know, he just a lot of drugs, a lot of smoking. <laughs> uh, 
Um, it wow. Was wow. Yeah, it wouldn't That's work. Tough. That's tough. Uh, it's tough. It's a yeah. tough, tough spot to be in then. Um, I know with these junkets, you get asked the same questions over and over again. So uh, in the vein of trying to be a little more interesting, uh, I want to ask this now and then come back to it later so you can think about it. But if uh, there's any great story you haven't gotten an opportunity to really share or any any fun thing from making Face the Music that you really wish people were asking about, but they keep asking you the same boring questions, uh, I'd love to, to end on that. So just put that in your mind now, maybe, and we can circle back there. Okay, um, by the time you get to that, I will have forgotten this question. <laughs> okay, well, then you'll be on the spot. That's fine. Yeah. Um, in doing the research for this, I, I learned, uh, I didn't know this previously, that Bill and Ted started on the improv stage. I guess question one is, is that true? And and if it is, can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, was it you and Chris and, and whether you were Bill or Ted and kind of that origin of that uh, as improv characters? We, we used to rent a theater on Sunset Boulevard called the Gardner Stage on its dark night. I think it was Sunday night for 20 bucks or maybe 10 bucks. Oh, wow. Chris and I, Mark Sandrowski, who's now a wonderful theater and television director, Ryan Rowe, our very good friend, who's a wonderful writer, and Mark Jaffe, a comedian friend of ours. The five of us rented this theater to just work out with no audience and just to try to push ourselves. We never wanted an audience. We did improv exercises. We did sketch ideas. We just, am I allowed to swear on this? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Um, okay. Gosh darn it. We just, we just, <laughs> <wrapped> around. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, we would just fuck around trying to make each other, make ourselves laugh, try weird. We did the weirdest shit. And I wish we recorded any of it. We did it for years. <laughs> we recorded none of it. It's just all in the ether. It was all just in the moment. I'm sure there was some brilliant stuff, and I'm sure there was 98% of it was just direct, but there was some fun <laughs> stuff, you know, and some interesting stuff. And on one random day, a few months in, we did Bill and Ted. Uh, I don't remember which of us was which, but it was random, you know, just a random assignment in names. And uh, that night, Chris and I went off to a coffee shop and just continued to mess around doing these characters which we did for about a year, just screwing around doing Bill and Ted, which was really fun. And we wanted to be comedy writers, but it never even crossed our mind to strip mine them and put them into something. Not once. Not once did we think, let's put them in. We just enjoyed playing them. Uh, about a year later, uh, we, want, we decided to try and write a script together. And we thought, hey, what if we took the Bill and Ted characters and made them part of a sketch movie, like did a seven-minute sketch with them? Okay. And Chris's dad, who is a, a famous science fiction writer named Richard Matheson, he huge fan. Yeah, he's a wonderful writer, and he was talking to Chris about it, and he's like, "That sounds like that could be its own movie." And I remember Chris calling and going, "Hey, my dad said, what if we did it as a whole movie?" And that's when we started breaking down the story as as you know it now. Very very cool. That's really cool. Uh, we're going to bounce around a little bit because uh, we, of course, want to talk about Face the Music and such, but we wanted to talk to you about you know the first movie and, and honestly, a, a bunch of projects you've worked on. So I know Andrew has some burning uh, Super Mario <laughs> Brothers questions. We both like this movie and we want to talk about it a little bit. So, uh, Well, um, first, I wanted to ask if um, the phone booth in the original Bill and Ted, is that a, is that a reference to Doctor Who and his uh, police box? It turns out it was a reference, but I didn't know it at the time. Okay. <laughs> when we originally wrote it, it was a van. Warner Brothers wanted to change it because of Back to the Future. We were sitting down with oh. the director, Stephen Herrick, and we were like, how are we going to change it? And Herrick, Stephen, who I thought did a wonderful job with the movie, 
Stephen suggested, what if we did a, uh, a phone booth? And because we were young guys living in LA with no internet, not because we were poor, but because it hadn't been invented yet. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, no, and three TV stations, none of which ever played Doctor Who. We had no idea. I never even heard of Doctor Who. I might have heard of it, but I didn't know anything about what it was. So we were like, yeah, sure. I think in hindsight, if I knew about the TARDIS, and I love Doctor Who now, but if I knew about it, I'd been like, fuck no. We're going to like come up with something else. I don't want to be derivative of that. Uh, so I'd like to pretend it was an homage. In fact, just say it was. No, it, but it wasn't. It was just stupid ignorance. Hmm. And then, so I truly love, like Super Mario Brothers is one of the movies that I grew up watching constantly. What's wrong with you? Are you a... <laughs> Do you need help? I mean, should we should we be sending somebody? I'm glad I'm recording this because I want people to know that I'm trying to help. I'm really <laughs> not a, like one of those things where someone is saying, I, I think I'm going to end it. And then I'm just walking past you on the bridge. I'm coming up to you saying, don't jump, don't jump. Um, I mean, there's the, the short list or the long for what's wrong with me. Uh, what was that creative process like? Like as, as someone who consumes media now and, you know, knows a little more of the story of, of why, why Super Mario shouldn't have been something I watched as much as I did, uh, what was the, the creative process like? Well, first of all, I've never seen the movie, so that's... that's a, really? Yeah. I worked on it for two weeks. I got a phone call after Bill and Ted at some point. I always wanted to be like a serious writer, you know, and I don't know if I have the chops for it or if I ever had the chops even for, for, for comedy, to be honest. I mean, I've always been trying to expand and be a better writer and like write really good shit. And I got a call after Bill and Ted, maybe a couple of years. I don't remember exactly what year from my agent saying, would you like to meet with Roland Joffe? And I was like, the director of the mission, the director of the killing fields. Yes. What about? Uh, he, he won't let us. He he won't tell us what it's about. He just wants to meet you. I'm like, yeah. I go to meet with him. He says, I have the rights to this video game. We've written. We've got several drafts written. They're not working. There's a lot of money invested in the production, but we don't have a distributor. Would you do a couple weeks rewrite in the hopes we get a distributor? I read the script. I rewrote as best I could. They did get a distributor. Disney picked it up. So I felt like a hero. They actually gave me a bonus, something I've never received before in my life. I think an extra $20,000 or something. It was nice for me, for sure. And that was it. And then a month later, a month and a half later, I got a call. Hey, uh, the other we, and other writers came on. I don't even know who. Hey, could you come to set for a couple weeks? There's some issues. So I went, they didn't have any money to pay me. So I agreed to work in exchange for a vacation, meaning if I go down for six days, you owe me and my girlfriend a six day vacation to like Paris. If I work for 10 days, it's a 10 day vacation. Okay. And it was cheaper for them. And it was also good for me. I love that, I love that line. That's so Hollywood logic. Um, so, uh, so I went down, I don't remember how long I was down there for maybe a week or something, week and a half. I don't know. I think I was a week, um, because, uh, maybe 10 days. And that was it. They hardly used anything I did. I, there were other writers that came in after me. It was a debacle. 
down there and nobody knew what they were doing. It was a disaster. I got to have dinner with Dennis Hopper, which was kind of cool. That's cool. Yeah. I was like, Hey Dennis, uh, why, you know, oh, he was about to go direct a movie after this. And I was like, Whoa, dude, they're letting you direct that. That's cool. How come that's a movie you're directing? He leans across the table. He grabs my collar. He looks me in the eye and he goes, I'm one of the best directors in America, man. And I went, oh, this was worth my dinner. Just the fact that however, 30 years later, I'm going to tell this story and here I am. So thank you for making that dinner worthwhile. It was a freaking nightmare. Anyway, then months or two months later, I went on that vacation, ironically, that they were paying for when the Writers Guild arbitration came up for credit on this movie. I was seventh of nine writers. I didn't even know there was an arbitration. I don't think anyone else wanted credit. I ended up with credit. I don't know why. I never were there to say no thank you, so they just gave it to you? (laughs) Seriously, I'm not kidding. I think they assigned me credit. Other people didn't want it. I have credit. It was actually a real embarrassment to me because I I, I have very, very, very little in that movie that's, that's actually on screen. Very little, if anything. And... Because of that, I made one of the stupidest decisions I've ever made in my life, probably the stupidest career decision in my, I ever made in my life, which is I wrote the first draft of X-Men. I got, I was given credit. Me and Chris McQuarrie were given credit on X-Men, but I had had such a bad experience having credit on Super Mario Brothers for a movie that I hardly wrote. I didn't want credit on a movie that I wasn't the sole writer on, even though I actually was one of the predominant writers on X-Men. And I took my name off it like a fucking idiot. Oh, it no. was it was a very bad move on a, not just a professional level, but on a personal level. But that move, taking my name off X-Men, actually changed my life because I realized that that was just after Men in Black had come out and I was really inside my own bunghole, I think, as a writer. <laughs> and, and I was like, launched Hugh Jackman. Uh, yeah, maybe, yeah. But like, honestly, I was just like... <sighs> It helped me get my head on straight as a person I, I, because I went, where can you be in life, Ed, that you'd make such a stupid choice like that based on your own indulgent desire, you know, hubris? Like, I don't want my name on something that I'm not the final writer on, you know? And then I was like, that's not the way the movie business works. And you know what? You worked on it. Take credit for it. Don't or, or don't or just don't even worry about the credit. But why walk away? So that was that was really stupid so I to do, but it did change my life in a very positive way in terms of just the way I deal with the world. And I'd say me pre-X-Men versus me post-X-Men are, are kind of a different person. And in a way, I owe that to Super Mario Brothers. Sorry you've seen it so many times, but maybe <laughs> pretend one of those times was, was uh, you saw it for me, so now I don't ever have to see it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Did did adapting Men in Black from comics sort of lead to the X Men thing? Is was there a correlation between the adaptation there or, or no? There, look, Lowell Cunningham came up with a brilliant idea. Brilliant idea. It was three issues. It was a drama. It was demons and like dark forces. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't want to do it. It seemed stupid to me. I loved the idea. I wrote a note to the producer to be respectful, explaining the reasons I didn't want to do it. And I said, but if you did it as a comedy and if, you know, if the attitude was more like this and if it was, you know, you had this young guy, maybe he's in the Secret Service and he wants to join in and then you can kind of go into it that way. And maybe it's not as, 
you know, maybe it's just aliens. And what if it's aliens living on Earth as opposed to that there's demons and sorcerers and that kind of thing? But what if they're like cops, beat cops dealing with creatures that already exist that regular humans don't know? That's how I would do it. But I know that's not the way you guys want to do it. So I'm going to have to kind of sign off. And they went, no, that's what we want. That sounds great. So that's how I got. So um, they hired me to do that. And they said, this seems like one that you can knock out in six weeks. Cut two, four years later, incredible <laughs> experience. I'd been hired and fired four different times. Or I was hired four, fired four, hired five, or maybe fired three, hired four. I don't remember. But, but I did see that movie all the way through to the end. And I'm really glad I stayed on it because I'm very proud of the movie and I'm proud of the work that Barry Sonnenfeld did. I think he did an amazing job. And we had some, you know, Eric Brevig and Bo Welsh and Danny Elfman and some people doing work. Oh, that's right. That's Danny together. Elfman. Yeah. That was an incredible experience watching that movie come together with some really, really good people. I'm grateful as hell that I didn't make the boneheaded, emotionally based move that I made on X-Men, which was, you know, taking my name off. But there were times on Men in Black that it was so frustrating and painful that I wanted to quit. And I'm glad I didn't. Yeah, I mean, I'm I am glad too. I love I that too. movie. I think yeah, especially it's, it's, the film you first describe of a uh, dark drama about demons. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not quite the thing. That's that's really interesting. No, the moment that I realized I knew what the movie was was when I uh, was re- walking by a supermarket tabloid, and I went, "Aha, that's it." The aliens oh, nice. They communicate via the tabloids. <laughs> then once I once I got that, I said, "Aha! I know what the movie is. I I know what the." I love that. That's when I felt like I knew I could, I could make it work. Awesome. All right, so let's we'll we'll end with some Bill and Ted here, real quick. This question comes up a lot. I've seen. I think I've seen Keanu answer this. I think I've seen Alex answer it. But I think straight from the horse's mouth and the, you know, the creator of the character will be interesting. Are Bill and Ted stoners because they're constantly on lists of like best stoner movie characters, but now three movies have come and gone and I've seen nary a a hint of of any on screen, you know, any on screen proof of this. If people want to believe that Bill and Ted smoke weed on their spare time, they're welcome to believe it. But honestly, they're not. They don't. They never have. We had a scene in the first movie once where they're given detention and they're smashing erasers against each other. And they're inhaling the chalk dust going, (laughs) they're like the kind of guys that would pretend to be stoned, but no, they're not. And there's no drug references. And, and it's funny because we had a joke. You were asking about, um, station in the opening of face the music. you, You guys have seen face the music. Yeah. Yes. Um, in the opening of face the music, we did a really fast 90 second, kind of crawl to explain, hey, this is, here's a quick intro for what you've missed. This is, you know, uh, those of you who haven't seen the movie or those of you who have here, you know, here's where we are now. And we actually had a joke in there that um, Station had, had OD'd and, um, <laughs> and left the band, you know, left the band, he OD'd and died and then sent back to Mars. Um, but that got nixed because it's like, we don't even want to make drug jokes in this movie. I mean, we realized, not on purpose, but we realized as we were making the movie that this movie, you could show a three-year-old this movie. You could show your, a seven-year-old. You can watch it with your family. That's the, And I'm kind of glad about that. Somebody used the word that I would never have thought was a compliment for a movie I ever did, but I, I do think it's a compliment. They said, hey, you know what? This movie's wholesome. 
I was like, hey, you know what? I'll take it. Hmm. What the hell? You know? Yeah, I, I think that's a good a good descriptor. Um, it is. Yeah, is there any uh, question, any stories that you haven't gotten to told that you've been kind of waiting for the perfect bait answer, a bait question and no one's given you? And now here's kind of your open-ended bait question for any story you want to tell? About Face the Music? Mm-hmm. You know, there was a pervasive spirit in the making of the movie that we are really here to care for each other. And I know that might sound really treacly, and I know for all the snarky people like, you know, uh, in the world who listen to stuff like this, it may be one of those just you kind of smack your lips and roll your eyes a bit. But the movie was impossible to get off the ground. We fought for a decade and a quarter to get it made. And we lost our financing so many times, including two weeks before we started shooting. And it was incredibly difficult to shoot in that way, production-wise. But creatively, it was an absolute joy. Once Dean said, action, for the first time, and we were doing the creative stuff. It was really a blast. And and I know people say this on movies sometimes, but there was a community spirit there that was really remarkable. And it was embodied by a few events that I will just, just describe, you know. Um, well, actually, we're, oh, I'm being told we're out of time as well. I'll, I'll say one event. We had to shut down one day because of an impending hurricane in Louisiana. We were stuck in a town called Co- Covington. And Keanu had been talking to a guy on set, a guy named Wesley, lovely guy. His brother is in the production office and his his brother, uh, his name is Hunter. Hunter said, hey, could my brother come to set one day? He has, um, I believe it's multiple sclerosis. Um, I'm pretty sure, but I'm, I, have to, I would have to double check that. Uh, and Keanu was like, yeah, of course. And all, all of us were like, yeah, of course. And Keanu was talking to Wesley. And Wesley and Keanu said, did you like John Wick? And he said, I've never been, I haven't been able to see it. And Keanu said, hey, man, I'll take you to see it. How about Saturday? Uh, it was playing in Covington. So Wesley was going to go Saturday to go see John Wick with Keanu. And the hurricane set in for Friday and we had to shut production down. So suddenly Friday, we're all stuck in Covington in a hotel room. So Keanu said, Hey, Wesley, is it all right if we go Friday? And what if we just invite everybody? So Keanu bought out the 1 PM showing of John Wick. I don't know. He bought it out. It had been playing for a month and a half. It was probably, <laughs> probably cost him, you know, 135. <laughs> I can't imagine. What but they closed the theater for one o'clock and our whole cast and crew uh, um, went to a screening hosted by Keanu of John Wick. And which by the way, is the anti Ted. Yes, <laughs> that's for sure. Yeah, people have made the joke. Um, I, I think it was a guy named David Dave Lynch once made this joke, or maybe someone else on Twitter. But like John Wick is the alternate timeline where Ted went to military school. Um, <laughs> but uh, we we watched John Wick, and then Alex and Keanu hosted a lunch, giant lunch for everybody who was stuck in Covington. You know, like maybe 75, 80 people. And we spent the day hanging out in Covington, going to the movies, having a big lunch, talking literally till six, seven, till the restaurant said, uh, we need to have customers come in now. <laughs> we all had to leave. But it was a wonderful day. And to me, that embodied the so spirit of the making of the movie, which is, hey, man, we're all caring for each other. We're all trying to get through this. None of us is making big bucks on this movie. None of us. Part of the reason, part of the drawback when you write a spec script, which is what we did, we wrote it on spec face the music for a studio for a film that you don't own the rights to you only have one buyer so you don't have a lot of leverage let's say to make your deal 
But for some reason, people did not see the movie as commercial. We had very little money to make it. So nobody was working for money. Everyone was just working to be a part of it. And that embodied the spirit of the making of the movie. Whether you like the movie or not, it was really a joy to make itself. That's awesome to hear. That's, to that's hear really that. good. You can, you can see that on screen, I think, for sure. Mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear that. Well, I hope you guys liked the movie, and, I, and I'm glad you guys got to see it. Very and thanks. Yeah. Yeah, it was awesome to get to see it and, and have a little bit more knowledge for asking. And thank you so much for coming to join us. You're welcome back anytime. Yes, thank if you'd you. like to come chat some more, we'd love to We'd love to have you anytime. This was a, a really fun thing. I really appreciate you having me on. I'm glad we got to make this work. And, um, you know, and, and thank you so much for, for, for having me be a guest. Yeah, thanks. If you come back anytime, you're always welcome here on Dissected in the 80s. Let, yeah, me, know, let me know when that would work. I'd be, I'd be thrilled. Yeah, anytime you want, you just let us know. And uh, <laughs> folks out there, go uh, go check out uh, Bill and Ted, available in, I believe, select theaters and for rental on demand today. All right. Take care. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Uh, as far as Face the Music goes, I think you know right now if you're going to like the movie or not. Whether You haven't seen it, obviously, but I think that's what I would say. is like You kind of know already if you're going to like yeah. it or not. If you really like these characters... It's a movie for you. It's not necessarily made for folks who are unfamiliar. Although I think there's enough jokes in it that like you, you went into it about as raw as you could. Did you, do you get some good jokes? I out enjoyed of it? it very much. Uh, the, the performances okay. are great. I think, um, I would be happy to watch the series continue without Bill and Ted and focusing on their daughters, Billy and Thea, because I, their energy worked just as well. And I think they were just as charming and enjoyable to watch. So I, it, it would be a cool pass the torch moment for me if it continued in that way. Yeah. I, I honestly, while watching it, you know, obviously it's nice to see Keanu. It's nice to see Alex winter, but every time we were hanging out with them, I was like, so what are Samara weaving in Brigitte Lundy Payne up to? <laughs> Can we yeah, see like, what they're about, doing? Where, where are we going back to them? Yeah, what's 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 happening over in that movie? Because they, the two of them, had the real Bill and Ted friend energy that Keanu and Alex had in the original movie. And you know, they're older guys now. It's it's harder to get back into that headspace. And I I said this a little bit, but I I, I can't say this enough. I think it's pronounced Brigitte, uh, not Bridget, but Brid, not Bridget. But in either case spectacular performances ted just beyond spectacular totally totally nails the sort of blown away puppy dog energy of ted the constant like whoa even the haircut yeah they had the same kind of haircut yeah and and it was like enough that it would bob around honestly better than keanu at being ted at this stage of the game and that's not a slight to keanu i like him he's fun in the movie so i would be fine with that too yeah, I'd be fine with that, too, if Bill and Ted were kind of tertiary characters in it. But also it was like, you know, it closed the book nicely. It was it was cute and it was, you know, very fan indulgent without being overly fan servicey, which a lot of these late stage sequels are. So I, I, I think it's if you like I said, if you like Bill and Ted, it is would be really surprising to me that you hated this movie. It, it would shock me, frankly. Yeah. But if you don't know them at all. I think it's probably less of a movie for you, although you went into it pretty naked and enjoyed really yourself. Enjoyed so, yeah. So it's out now on every rental platform, basically. Um, so go check that out if you're if you're wanting to see more of that. And uh, thank you for listening to the show. We really appreciate it. I have been Trip Lano. I will always be Andrew Lano. Until next time. Don't you forget about me. Okay.
dissect in the 80s is a chum sum of this production. <laughs> <laughs>